extend a welcome to you this morning, greet you in Jesus' precious name. The one who we strive to pattern our lives after, and if we think about giving, no greater love can no man know than one that gives his life for his brethren. And Jesus so poignantly demonstrated that for us. Commendation is due, or commendation is, I want to give Alice a commendation for staying behind the pulpit. Several Sundays back, I, we were gone, we're not here, and so we listened to the entire service, and we enjoyed the Sunday school service as well. So thank you, Alice. I know sometimes we get in our ruts, and we have our personal ticks that we use our hands to talk, or we wander away from the mic, and, uh, you know, sometimes those adjustments are hard, but uh, you're doing well. Thank you. This morning, I'd like to take you to a proverb, Proverbs 19, verse 11. This is a proverb that was in my daily reading here a number of weeks ago. And I, it was one of them things that, and probably all of you experience this, you know, there's sometimes passages that just kind of get your attention and you can't get them out of your mind. And I, I think sometimes that's God's way of, of driving home a point. And uh, God's Spirit works in our lives in different ways, and uh, God's Word is powerful. It ought to change our lives, it ought to impact our lives, it ought to make us into what He wants us to finish, vessel that He wants us to be. Proverbs 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger... And it is and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Now that verse came to me in the NIV, and I'll read it to you in that way. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. So that's the NIV translation of that. Very similar thoughts. And you think about the context or the the writer of this proverb. A proverb is a short saying containing a truth that is generally true. Maybe not absolutely always true, but it's generally true. And it's often given in poetic or pitchesque words. Uh, expression uh, in a way that uh, catches our attention probably more than something that is long and wordy. And uh, I tend to be a simple person in, in in thought, and so I I was thinking about this proverb, and probably the thing that that caught my attention the most it says that, uh, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. I thought, is that really a glory? Is that the way it should work? <laughs> should we overlook an offense? Well, I like to take this proverb apart in three parts this morning and look at it. And I. I think there is a lot of truth in this proverb, and it's a proverb that I needed to remind myself of. It's a proverb that I I need to uh, give expression in my thought pattern, in my thinking. So the first thing I want to look at is the idea of discretion or wisdom. If you jump down further in this proverb here in Proverbs 19, verse 20, there's an interesting thought that parallels that would complement this truth here. If you look, it says, Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. 
And I think that is a lot of truth in that. Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. And then if you go to verse 23, just down a little bit further, the fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it says another place. Certainly the fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And that's what that's what we're concerned about. We're concerned about life. We want to experience life in its fullest dimension. And we want to experience it by knowing God. And I believe that's the only way we can experience life to its fullest dimension. It's not by divulging into the things that the world has to offer. That's a, that's a trick of Satan. You want to, you know, he can deceive us and say we're missing out on life, but we're not missing out on life. Satan is a, is a tough taskmaster. Jesus is, God is the only one that is, is worthy of our, our service and, uh, our commitment. God, of course, is the source of all wisdom. And I thought about Proverbs. You know, Proverbs is, Solomon is given the credit for writing the Proverbs here. And I, I remember as a young person, I thought, you know, to be wise. What would it be like to be really wise? You know, to have all the answers. <laughs> uh, and I, I thought, well, you know, if Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, certainly if we uh, immerse ourselves in his writings and uh, his instructions, it, it should have an impact on our thought patterns, our life. And I think it should. I believe the Proverbs were inspired by God. They're in the Bible. They're for our benefit. Although I believe we need to branch out from that. I believe the entire word of God is is what will make us truly wise. And as I was thinking about that, you know, in my faulted thinking, I thought, well, you know, reading Solomon's word as it was inspired of God, it's good. But, you know, why not go to directly to the source of all wisdom? And that's God himself. James tells us that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask freely of God. He is the source of all wisdom. I'm not saying it's wrong that we shouldn't read, and, and I'm preaching from Proverbs, so it's certainly not, I'm not shooting myself in the foot. I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I believe as Christians, as we serve the Lord, we need to have a balanced diet of reading the entire Word of God. And uh, so I challenge you this morning, read, Sol- read Solomon's writings. I think they're good. I believe they were inspired. I believe they're there for a benefit. But don't stop at that. You want to be truly wise, go directly to the source that Solomon accessed his wisdom from. Where did Solomon get his wisdom? God gave it to him. We can go back to Second Kings there, or pardon me, First Kings chapter 3, verse 9, and I don't take the time to do that. But, you know, there's Solomon. He asked for wisdom to lead the children of Israel. And God said, because you have not asked for all the other things that natural man would ask for. He said, I'm going to give you those things too. And uh, wisdom is there. We have direct access to the source of all wisdom, and that is God. How do we access God's wisdom? I believe I already mentioned the one, and that is God's word. We access God's wisdom uh, from his word, through his word. I believe God has given us, read God's word, it will make you a wise person. Not just reading it, but living it. If it reads it, if we read it, it needs to impact our lives. It's not just a literary book. It's a light, it's a book that we need to apply to our, our walk with in, in life. And then we need to live it. We need to flesh it out. 
I believe the second way we can access God's wisdom is through the avenue of prayer. And that is certainly a very viable avenue through which we access his, his wisdom. Take it to the Lord and, and ask him what this situation, how this situation is best remedied. What do I need to do? Lord, where do I fit into this issue? And then we need to listen. We need to wait. There are times, I believe, that God sometimes answers those requests in seemingly almost an audible voice. I know Brother Dennis mentioned so one time coming out of church doors, doors here at prayer, and he said it was almost like an audible voice spoke to him in answer to an issue that he was facing. And I believe God can do that. God can sometimes, you know, jar things from our memory. Uh, and that has happened to me already. You know, you think, you say, why didn't I think of that before? God brings things back to our memory that, that fit the situation, the circumstances that are so, uh, so valuable in helping us figure out the answer to the questions in life. And that, as I mentioned in, in verse 20 there, I believe God sometimes answers our prayers through others, through other Christians. And again, we need to, we need to be careful where that source of counsel is coming from or that source of instruction. Is it godly? Hear counsel, receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thine own end. God has not invested in any one single person all of the answers of life. I'm convinced of that. We need a balanced uh, portfolio, if I can use that word, of wisdom. Uh, you balance me, I balance you. You know, it's back and forth. Sometimes we need that springboard or that bouncing back and forth. Verse 8 in Psalms 19 says, He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. Get wisdom, keep it, and it will bless, it will be a blessing now and to you, and to your eternal soul. I, I thought that was interesting the way the expression was given there. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. Loveth his own soul. You know, we know about diet. We, we get so involved in the physical realm of our living. We know about diet. We know about exercise. We know about rest from a physical perspective. You know what's good for us, for the physical body. But do we know what's good for our soul? Our soul is just as real. Our soul is more real than my physical body is here this morning, than all of you sitting here this morning. It is more real because it's it's going to last forever. Your soul has an eternal aspect that our physical body does not. The conclusion... To number one, as I think about the thought of discretion and wisdom, the conclusion I want you to remember, spiritual learning, spiritual growth, and maturity are more important than the physical aspect of life. Remember that. We want to cultivate that which is going to help us to mature spiritually. You know, God has given, and I think we ought, I'm not saying that we ought to be disrespectful of our physical bodies, because I think we ought to get proper rest. We ought to have proper diets. That's all good. Because I don't think you can, you can function as, as effectively spiritually if the physical is pulling you down. Conclusion. Spiritual learning, growth, and maturity are more important than physical. Now we, we allocate only one day of the week to our spiritual nourishment. But I mean, it shouldn't be that. We need to do, if you're just getting fed Sunday morning, you need to do it Wednesday, you need to do it Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday as well. And 
And you need to do your personal devotions because that's important. That's when spiritual growth and maturity can take place. Spiritual learning, growth, and maturity can take place in our in our lives and in our and it'll make our soul grow. Or it'll make our soul be of value. He that loveth he he that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. I like that verse. The second part of that verse, that proverb, is the idea of deferring anger or the NIV uses the word patience. Deferring anger or patience. I'd like to turn back to the New Testament, to the book of James, chapter uh, 1. A few verses there. James 1, verses uh, 2 through 5. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, there is our verse, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, unupbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And I'll stop reading there. What is the perfect work of patience? You know, by nature, we all have different natures, but generally speaking, by nature, we don't have patience. Uh, you know, and it's gotten probably worse in our culture. You know, we're used to the instant this and the instant that, and we want it right now. Patience, our culture is not um, good at fostering patience. <laughs> and maybe it is, I guess, <laughs> since the pandemic sitting in the bank lines of the bank has been a, a good experience for me, I guess, because it's, it's, you can't go into the lobbies to take your bank deposits in, which are church and Bible school and personal. So you end up waiting in a line, and we, we try and calculate there. Uh, Wells Fargo has several banks in Rochester, and they all have about five drive-ins, and usually two of them are designated commercial, which Typically, I figure we fall under the one or two, typically, our designated commercial, and that's the ones that have the, the cash bags with the coins and stuff in. So they don't like you sending them through the through the air tubes as well, and sometimes it's a struggle to get them all in the little air tube. I've done it occasionally. and But, uh, you know, so maybe maybe that is helping us cultivate patience. I'm not sure. Uh, we, t- we timed it. I think one time it was a half hour we sat there waiting. And uh, so we've been trying to figure out which banks and, and time-wise, which where we gain. But again, that's that's me. I'm trying to think, well, how can we save some time? What is the perfect work of patience? You know, again, by nature, we are impatient. So I thought about cultivating patience. You know, we, we need to hit the pause button every now and then. You know, we know how to do it electronically on our digital devices. We hit pause and it stops. And it's there for us when we want to come back to it. Do we know how to hit the pause button in life and say, God, I'm here, talk to me? You know, those times of waiting can be times of, uh, you know, introspection, looking at what God is helping us to, what he's doing in my life, what he's doing for you. I found it rather interesting on our way home from North Dakota this week from Justina and JJ's. We uh, did a little diversion off of the interstate and stopped in Little Falls, Minnesota. And uh, I already told you about the two mansions that are there, the Muster Mansion and the Warehouser Mansion. And uh, I said sometime we want to do that. So we did. We, on the banks of the Mississippi River, 
these two mansions are there. But I said, we came into town, the little fall, on the town sign, little, little falls, Minnesota, and it said, uh, where the Mississippi pauses. And uh, so I found that kind of interesting. I thought of that in relation to the aspect of pausing. The only thing is, as we walked along the banks of the Mississippi River, there was naturally an old, a natural dam there at one point, uh, a granite and uh, slate outcrop that the river seemingly, instead of its continuing on its its, uh, journey, it dropped this way instead of going this way. And I guess that's where the idea of the pause came from. But uh, that has since been taken away, and it's been replaced by several dams, actually hydro dams. And I think they had quite a bit of rain, evidently, because the water was just coming through the, the locks in that dam, just like a, it was turbulent. It was just, I think there was four different bays there, and it was just shooting through. And uh, you wouldn't want to be caught in the, the suction of those. Uh, the Mississippi didn't seem to be pausing at that point. <laughs> Is that the way I am when I'm pausing? Uh, do I get frustrated and... Uh, I thought the river maybe demonstrated that. But on its way to the Gulf, it uh, it uh, it was at one point termed pause. Can we pause mentally, emotionally, and relationally sometimes? Do we sometimes... I think it's okay to say when we're having discussions, let's not talk about this now. Maybe we're not mentally prepared to talk about it. I think that's okay. And it's okay to say, well, you know, could we discuss this at another time? Could we discuss it later? Or if you're initiating the discussions, you could ask, would you like to take more time for consideration in what's being discussed? Take other people's thoughts in or feelings into consideration. So a number of verses I'd like to draw your attention to as I think about the aspect of patience in the New Testament and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is the Apostle Paul giving his personal testimony. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, Forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I found those verses interesting. And the thought that stood out to me was the idea of forbearing one another in love. And then the, the aspect of that bringing unity into our relationships Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That, I think, can be a product of patience and forbearance. And uh, that of deferring our anger. Going just a bit further there in in Paul's uh, writings there in Colossians chapter 3, several verses, verses 12 through 15, Colossians 3 Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, there it is again, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. 
And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called, again, notice this, in one body, and be ye thankful. Again, that unifying effect that can take place when we practice patience, forbearing, deference for, toward one another. Going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. It's not the verse I wanted. Maybe it's... Okay, yes it is. Yes, I'm sorry. Verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. An expression given here that we ought to be practicing patience toward all men, not just those that we interact as Brethren in the Lord, but we ought to be practicing patience beyond that to all men as well. And then uh, I wanted to drop down the idea, the aspect of good there is mentioned as well in verse 21. Verse 15 says about to ever follow that which is good. And then dropping down to verse 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And I think patience is going to play a large uh, role in that ability to hold to that which is good. We like brotherhood, and it's good, I believe, but we need to practice forbearance. We need to practice uh, forgiveness. You know, there's an example as I, you know, uh, I thought of the Old Testament example of uh, Jehoshiba. You know, when Joash, one of the youngest kings of Israel, um, see, his, his father had... Uh, died, and uh, ruthless queen, uh, Adaliah, was going to destroy all the princes, all the sons of the king. And I'm not sure if she was, actually may have been, I'm not sure if she, that would have actually been Joash's actual mother, may have been a stepmother, I'm not sure exactly on that. But Jehoshaphat took him and hid him there with her, with her husband, uh, Jehoiakim, who was the pr- uh, priest, I believe, at the time, and they... He, he must have been barely a year old at the time when they hit him, because I think he was seven years old when they brought him out and revealed him that they had saved him. And, of course, uh, Adaliah was uh, usurping the throne, and uh, she cried treason, treason. But the children of Israel came together behind Joash, one of the youngest kings, and he, he served the Lord well. And uh, But the, the person I want to mention here is Jehoshiba, who who saved him. There was, It seemed like everything was... Israel had rejected God totally, and uh, she realized that here is her opportunity to save this young child who was actually in line, uh, would have been in line for the throne, even though he was only a year old at the time. But she saved him till seven years old and then brought him out, and uh, Israel embraced him as king. And it's, he served, I think, for, 
I should remember, was it 40, 40 some years perhaps, and, and served the Lord faithfully all the years of his, his reign. But the fact that the one, the thing I want to pick out is that small act that she did. And, you know, maybe an impulse. And, uh, yet she knew it was not right that Queen Adaliah was destroying all the eligible princes. And she hid him there for seven years. But the, the thing I want to emphasize is, is the opportunity that she took. And, and did that which was right, that which was, that which was good. And, uh, so the conclusion that I want to remind you of this second point as I think of the idea of, uh, of patience, deferring anger. You know, you can think everything is stacked against you. You know, you think of the example here of, uh, in the Old Testament of Joash. He was innocent enough that he probably had no clue of the danger he was in. And had it not been for his, uh, his, uh, I think Jehosheba would have been his aunt, I believe. She had not saved him. But she did that. God, of course, had a role. And actually, Joash then is in the, in the lineage of Christ. And, uh, God, of course, I believe was playing a role in that woman's life in, in prompting her to, to step in there and, and save him and hide him with, uh, her husband, the priest. But the conclusion and the take home that I want you to remember from that second point, it's always right to do that which is good. And I believe patience is generally would fit into that cla- that class as being good, generally. I'm not saying always, but it's always right to do that which is good and patience. And I'm not going to put a percentage on that, but I'd say it's probably 90% or more that could fit into that category. So remember that. In conclusion, it's always right to do that which is good and patience generally fits into that. The third aspect that I want to look at in this proverb is the idea of the transgressions in the King James, or the NIV, that of the offense. The Strong's Concordance Hebrew gives a definition for that. The Hebrew is Pesha, P-E-S-H-A. I'm not sure if that pronunciation is right or not. But it has the idea of rebellion, sin, transgression, or trespass. Uh, serious violation. And uh, so that's the original Hebrew of that word in the in the proverb. As I think about offending, you know, we've likely experienced it ourselves. You're here in life. You know, it doesn't take very long till somebody hurts our feelings. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have different levels of offenses, some that are minor, some that are very serious. And uh, this, of course, is using the expression of that which it categorizes as a sin or a transgression, trespass, trespass, serious violation. And we, on the other hand, may be responsible for offending others as well. So offense can sometimes affect us two ways. We may be offended. We may be the offender. I'd like to look at what Paul has to say about offenses. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Second Corinthians 6. He says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. That's a pretty strong statement. And uh, actually, if you look at the, I think I looked at Vines in the translation here, uh, Vines' word of uh, translation of the Old and New Testament, and it says obstacle, difficulty, or stumbling block. And again, that's uh, looking at it from something fairly serious. And uh, you may ask the question, uh, is this really possible that we could live life without giving 
no offense to anyone. Um, I, a question I, I had to ask myself is, did Jesus ever offend anybody in his earthly ministry? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Luke 17, verses 1 through 4. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast it. And he cast into the sea, then that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So there Jesus is saying that. I think the focus is on not, maybe not so much the, the offending and the trespassing, I think Jesus is shifting the focus to the focus on that of forgiving and and the expression of faith being increased. There's a few verses in Titus I like to bring in here too. Titus chapter two, verses seven and eight. Titus two, verses seven and eight. In all things, this is uh I believe the uh talking about the qualifications here. And he says, In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, saying, having no evil saying, no evil thing to say of you. Now as we look at what Jesus said, as we look at what the Apostle Paul said, you know, is it possible to live life without offending anyone? You know, in the same breath, you know, if we follow and proclaim the truth, inevitably we will probably offend somebody. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, and I'll turn to that verse. I didn't look at that verse yet, but in Galatians chapter 5, verse 11, the Apostle Paul was preaching there, and he said, uh, he talks about the offense of the cross. And... Uh, they were taking him to, he was, they were, they were being offended because of the, the truth that he was preaching to them about salvation in Christ. And they were faulting him on, on letting the law of circumcision lay, which was embodied all of the law as well. The circum, the law of the circumcision was one aspect of it. But, gee, uh, that, of course, that law was, was not necessary anymore. And Paul was preaching the law of, uh, he was preaching the cross of Christ rather than the Old Testament law. And they were faulting him for that. And they were offended because of his message of the cross, the deliverance that brings to us away from the law. Today we may face similar laws or traditions. I may include that. And I'm not against traditions, but I believe that our traditions need to be connected to biblical principles. If our, if our traditions are not connected to biblical principles, then I, I think we're on shaky ground. There is an interesting, as we think about Jesus ever offending in his earthly ministry, there is an interesting account in Matthew chapter 11, I'm sorry, Matthew 15, 
verse beginning at verses 12. I want to read through verses 1 through 11. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 11. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the the traditions of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or mother, It is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me, honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then look at verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? So the the Pharisees were offended by what Jesus told them. And he spoke very, very candidly and and, uh, addressed them. Jesus' focus was on the truth rather than on person's feelings. And I think that's what we need to evaluate sometimes. Is it our feelings that are offended, or is it because of the truth? I, I was reading some of the articles of uh, Answers in Genesis, and uh, I came across an article. He said, you know, he said, Creation Museum and the Ark tend to offend atheists. Does that mean that we should shut down? He says, why are they offended if there is no God? Why are they offended if what they're promoting is, is the truth? The psalmist, I think, says it well in Psalms 14, uh, verse 5. Why the unrighteous, why the evil man is offended by truth. And I think Psalm, I think David had it correct in his, this expression. In Psalms 14, he says it this way. There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. I think there's, regardless how much the atheist or the unrighteous man will deny that there is any God, they see God, they should see God through our lives and through our testimony. And that brings them to the aspect or the dimension of of fear. They realize that there is righteousness in our lives. And God is with us. God can radiate through our testimony. And it brings fear into their experience. Conclusion of the third point here is, although we cannot keep people from being offended, our responsibility is to be sure it's the truth that offends and not our attitudes, actions, or approach. And you can use the illustration you know, suppose we have a bumper stick, eternity ahead, heaven or hell, are you ready? And we're driving through traffic and we're speeding and we're cutting people off. You know, what kind of a testimony is that? Like we're hastening, we're hastening them to that eternity. It may, it may remind them of, 
of eternity. But if we're not driving like we ought to be by speeding, not following the laws of the courtesy of the road, you know, that's a, that's a testimony that is going to revolt in an unbeliever's sight, I believe. Just to refresh our minds, number one, as we think of the, the uh, proverb here in, in, in Proverbs 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Number one, spiritual learning, growth, and maturity are more important than physical. Take that home today. Practice that next week. Eat three spiritual meals a day and see what it does for your spiritual maturity. Number two, it's always right to do good, and patience generally fits into that class as being good. Remember to exercise patience. And number three, we may not always be able to keep people from being offended, but my responsibility is to be sure that it's the truth that's doing the offending rather than my attitudes or actions or my approach to them. May God help us to live out this proverb for the glory of God. Shall we kneel for prayer?